time for us, hasn't it? All these different things we have to kind of work through in a different way. <clears throat> you know, I, th I think that most of us would agree that we are facing some, you know, peculiar difficulties, strange difficulties in these days. Of course, you know, we have this coronavirus pandemic, and it's wreaked havoc, stirred up a tremendous amount of fear and panic and even controversy. <clears throat> you wouldn't think you, could, you would fight over a, a virus, would you? But it's, it's caused a lot of uh, controversy throughout our nation. But then one broadcaster said this last week that because of something that happened Monday, the coronavirus story got pushed right off the front page. And she was talking about the death of George Floyd up in Minneapolis. And as most of you know, I'm sure everybody has kind of heard about it, uh, the video doesn't look good at all for the police, does it? <clears throat> the main officer has been charged with third-degree murder or manslaughter. All four have been fired. Then there's been this response of massive riots and destroying businesses and lighting fires to buildings and all kinds of destruction and looting. The wife of the policeman who's charged with the murder has filed for divorce. And all this is happening as we are trying to move back into normalcy, you know, after this coronavirus, as we were hope, seeing it kind of die down a little bit. So we're trying to make all those decisions, and all this other stuff is happening to just throw us off course. And to complete the picture a little bit more fully, you know, we could also throw into this mix of all these strange things happening that some are saying that if we don't completely change the whole way we live in our country, especially our energy resources, we may only have 12 years left on our planet. While others are saying that our whole system of, of economics is wrong and capitalism, and they're trying to push us over into socialism. And then, of course, all through this time, we're in an election year, which is already divisive, just by its name. <laughs> so you might say that we are in turbulent times in our nation. And turbulent times can lead to a lot of fear. But one good thing, for us at least, is that we are in a book of the Bible that addresses this and gives us great help, advice, and answers for this time in the book of James. And in fact, the passage that we're in this morning speaks directly to this type of thing. So as we look into the word of God, and you know, this is a thing for all times, as we are into the word of God and we let the word of God come in and affect us and challenge us and influence us, then we can influence one another in godly ways 
and people that we deal with in godly ways outside of our church. And ultimately, as churches do this, our society benefits from that. And James here is giving us great advice, great help through difficult times. So look with me, if you will, at uh, the first two verses of our passage. We'll be in James chapter 5. And it's going to be a short passage. But let's look at verses 7 and 8. <clears throat> he says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts. And another translation says, Stand firm. For the coming of the Lord is near. <clears throat> now James is telling these Christians how they should act under certain circumstances, their specific circumstances. And you know, they are spread out outside of Israel, and they are not always welcomed by the communities that they live in. And Jews, Jewish people have always been kind of looked down upon and even persecuted. And what we're going to see in the next few verses, in a few moments, we haven't seen it spelled out directly here, but in the next few verses, he's going to reveal that they are facing suffering and hardships, opposition. And so he says here, you know, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. <clears throat> now, we can understand why James is telling his people to focus on the Lord's coming. Because, you know, when Christ returns, he will rescue his people from their enemies and from their sufferings and from their persecutions. And Christ will bring in his everlasting, glorious kingdom of righteousness. And it's going to be some great, amazing, fantastic day when Christ comes and he brings in his kingdom and he rights all wrong, and he stops all suffering, saves his people. But what we may not understand in this is when he says, be patient until the Lord's coming. We can understand focusing on the Lord's coming because that's going to be a glorious day. But it sounds like he's saying, well, he does. In the next verse, <clears throat> be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. So we may not understand that part. What does he mean by near? Sounds like he's saying it's going to be very soon. There's not going to be a long wait. And here we are almost 2,000 years later when James wrote this. So why was he telling them this, this letter that is supposed to be the first letter? Scholars think it's, think it's the first letter of the New Testament written in the 40s A.D. Why is James telling them that the, the Lord's return is near when it's almost 2,000 years away now that we're looking back on? That's a long time to be patient, isn't it? Well, here's why James talks that way. 
Here's why he talks as if Christ's return is just right around the corner. And the reason is because that's the mindset that Jesus wanted his disciples themselves to think through, to think by, and to pass on to their disciples. Jesus' message to his disciples was to always be ready for his return, always be watching for his return. And when he returns, Jesus wants to find his people serving him, busy serving him, no slacking off. It's like if somebody's coming to check on your work, you want to hurry up and get it done, and if you know that they're coming soon, you hurry and get it done. If you know they're not coming for another three weeks, you're more relaxed, right? Well, he wants us always to be ready for his return and always be busy. If you remember after Jesus' resurrection, he spent 40 days with his disciples, and he was teaching them about how they would take over his mission because he said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And so Jesus was preparing them to, to start planting churches and spread the gospel and go to every nation. Was, and as he was talking to them, he said, wait here in Jerusalem until the coming of the Spirit, and the Spirit will give you power and will, will help you do your job, will be your helper. When they heard that, the disciples said, is this the time you're going to set up your kingdom? Now, we know that wasn't the time, right? That was the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> they were thinking because the Old Testament says there's going to be a pouring out of God's spirit when Christ comes back, when the kingdom is set up. So they're thinking spirit, kingdom. But Jesus is talking about the day of Pentecost when the Spirit would come down to everybody in that upper room and fill them, and they would go out and preach the gospel. So when they said, Lord, is it at this time you're going to set up your kingdom? Well, he didn't say yes. But you know what else he didn't say? He didn't say no. He could have easily said no, right? because they still wouldn't have known what time he was coming, but he wouldn't even say no. Do you remember what he said? He said, it's not for you to know the time and dates that the Father has set by his own authority. So he wouldn't even give them the tiniest clue as when it was. Is this the time you're setting up your kingdom? That's not for you to know. So as Jesus left his disciples to carry on his mission, he wanted them to always be ready for his return. So when the New Testament writers speak about Jesus coming soon, that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, he's coming right back. And that's what he really wants them to think, in a sense. Not that he's deceiving them, but he wants them to always be ready. He wants them to have that ready mindset. And he wants them to be <clears throat> always working. You know, um, I've said this before, but when I was in grade school, you know, the teacher would leave and go down the hall, and sometimes she'd be gone for five minutes, sometimes she'd be gone for 20 minutes. <clears throat> well, you know, she would tell us to keep on with our assignment, and I know none of you have ever seen this, but um, <laughs> some, some, some would start talking a little bit, then the talking would get louder, and the, the more minutes that ticked off, it would get louder, and 
and, and people would be running around. After a while, it would be kind of a, a madhouse, <clears throat> people jerking each other's desks and everything. And then finally, somebody would go to the door, and they'd be the watch out. They'd be the, the lookout. And then as soon as you know, they saw her coming down the hall, they'd start yelling, and everybody would run to their desks and everything. But you know who never had to worry about it? The two or three people that kept on doing their work. They never had to worry when the teacher was coming back because they were just doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were getting their work done. And that's really what Jesus is saying. You know, he even told stories that had that message, a number of stories. He talked about that wedding <clears throat> when there were ten virgins, they, they were just young ladies that were part of the wedding, wedding feast. And they, you know, five of them had enough oil to last through the night for their lamps. Five of them didn't. So the, the five that didn't say, can you lend us some of your oil? They said, no, because we got to be ready for when the, when the groom comes. In those days, the groom would come, and they didn't know the exact time. It's kind of like Jesus coming. They didn't know the exact time. They kind of knew, uh, you know, within probably some days. But they always had to be ready. Well, these who didn't bring enough oil, they had to go back into town to buy oil. And by the time they got back, the groom had come and taken, taken, taken the bride back to the house. And the wedding party had started, and they couldn't get in. And that's the kind of stories that Jesus told about a master going away coming back and finding his lead servant beating the other servants because he wasn't ready for the master's return. He told those kind of stories to say that we always have to be ready for Christ's return. So James is telling his people that in this time of hardship and suffering, be patient, be firm, stand strong, stay faithful, keep doing the work of the Lord because the Lord is near. He says, take a cue from the farmer who sows the seed in, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, they sow the seed, what, in September? And it doesn't, the, the, the crop doesn't come up until July. So the farmer who waits patiently for the autumn rains and then the spring rains, and he's just waiting faithfully, patiently, because he has no control over it. He does everything he can do, then it just has to trust in the Lord. So here we are in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, in these United States. And we have enjoyed great wealth and abundance in our lifetimes. But you know, things can happen, scary things can happen in our nation and in our personal lives, in our communities, in our churches. There can be health problems, family problems, uh, economic problems in our nation, major disappointments, trouble in our society. And James is saying at those times, whether it's personal, whether it's family, whether it's society, <clears throat> community, he says, keep our focus on Christ's return. Because no matter how hard it is, even in times where people have been brutally persecuted, they're keeping their focus on Christ's return. And one day he will come back and he will wipe out every evil 
he will establish a kingdom and a society that will be, and I mean this, literally heaven on earth. Because Christ and the Father will come down and their thrones will be on the new earth. There will be literally heaven on earth. And there will be no more coronavirus. No more government corruption. No more pollution or sex trafficking or poverty. No more death, dying, or disease. That is what we are to put our sights on. And in the meantime, he says, stand firm. Brace yourselves. Strengthen your hearts. Keep working for the Lord. Let him find us faithful. Now, verse 9 gives us an important point, piece of instruction. He says, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. You know, there is going to be an accounting for Christians when Christ comes back, not the judgment for <clears throat> eternal life if we're trusting in Christ. But there will be an accounting for what we've done with our time on earth. But he says, the judge is standing at the door. And he's telling us not to grumble at one another. Now, a couple of things here. You know, during difficult times, we can get edgy, right? We can get nervous, scared, kind of pop off at people. But you know, when we do that, it just makes things so much worse. When we uh, are rude to each other, short with each other, it makes a family or a church family so much more unpleasant. When you have criticisms, gripes, complaints, <clears throat> James says, and when we grumble at each other, criticize each other, we not only hurt others, we hurt the whole church fellowship and we invite God's judgment, or you will be judged. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> we will be judged for our grumbling against our brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, if you remember in the book of Genesis, <clears throat> Joseph was sold into slavery, as you know. He ended up in Egypt, right? And he was such a faithful servant that eventually... <clears throat> He ended up, you know, rising to the top of the leadership of the whole country. Only Pharaoh was above him. And he controlled so much, he was so powerful. As Joseph <clears throat> gains, you know, prominence in the, in the land, there's this great big famine across that part of the world. They sent the... Uh, Joseph's father, Jacob, sends his brothers down to get food from Egypt because they had storehouses of food because of Joseph's leadership. And they come down, <clears throat> and of course all that happens that you read about where they bow down to him, fulfilling his dream and all of that. And they come down twice, and I'm skipping over most of the story. The second time they come down, he reveals himself to them, right? Okay? Then they hug and they cry over each other and they kind of uh, get reconnected. <clears throat> and then the Pharaoh says, go get your father, bring your families down, 
we'll, have, we'll give you the best land. And so Joseph is sending them back to get his father, and look what he says to them. <clears throat> then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. Now that always kind of struck me as funny, you know? You got, you got world events happening here, and he's telling his brothers, don't quarrel on the way home. <clears throat> and, you know, of course, we all have said that to our children, right? But it seems like a strange thing for him to say to his brothers who are all older than him, except for Benjamin. But, you know, at this point, Joseph, he was taken into slavery when he was just a youth. And he hasn't seen his father since. And now they're going to go back and get all their families and bring his father down. <clears throat> and what Joseph is saying to them is, don't fight with each other on the way. Just go get dad and bring him here. Because who knows what could happen if they start fighting with one another. How much delay that could be. And Jacob was very, very old at this time. So he wants him there. And if they start fighting, they're not going to complete their mission. And so that's the idea. <clears throat> Quarreling with each other doesn't allow us to do what God wants us to do as a church family. If we start picking on each other and griping about each other and fighting with each other and being jealous of each other, well, then that stops us from doing what we're here to do as a church family. And you can see it in Joseph as he says, don't quarrel with each other, bring dad down. <clears throat> we as a church family are here to encourage one another and to reach out to others and to affect our society with the, with the love of God, the principles of the Bible. Uh, one wise man told me that used to go to church here, he's passed away. <clears throat> he talks about, you know, if you're working at a store, like behind a counter, maybe a convenience store or something. And if there's, no, if there's no customers coming in and you're just kind of bored, he goes, after a while, the, the two people behind the counter, they start kind of picking on each other. They get in each, in each other's nerves. Uh, they, they, you know, have too much time on their hands. <clears throat> he says when the customers come in, then they do the work. And so... What I learned from that is, you know, if we're doing the work, we don't have time to quarrel with each other. If we're doing what we're supposed to do, we're not filling our minds with things that we're not supposed to do. So Jesus says to stay busy. James says to stay busy, do the work, keep your eyes on the um, return of Christ. Don't grumble against each other. It just takes away from the reason that we're here, keeps us from being faithful servants, prevents us from accomplishing God's purposes. So don't quarrel as we're on our way to heaven. <clears throat> now, we talked about the farmers waiting for the seasonal rains. And these next verses can help us understand how to endure the hardship that he's talking about. Verses 10 and 11. He says, brothers and sisters, 
as an example of patience in the face of suffering, consider the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He's given us examples of patience and suffering. We consider those blessed who have persevered. That means we, we hold them up as examples, those who have hung on during the tough times. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. You know, what happened to Job at the end? That the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. <clears throat> you know, when you look back into the Old Testament prophets who went out and spoke in the name of the Lord, they were very special servants of God. God gave them very elite positions. And he spoke directly to them so they could speak to the people the words of God to warn them, to give them direction. And some of them, you know, worked powerful miracles. But many of them were treated very badly. You know, they were put in cisterns. They were put in prisons. They were mocked. Uh, Sometimes God would require very difficult things for them. Many were killed. And Jesus said, you killed all the prophets. They were living living under great pressure and responsibility from God. And James says that when we look at those prophets and we see all that they had to persevere through, we really consider them special. And we really see them as blessed. Those who remain faithful to God under hard times. And then James turns to Job. And you know, Job is kind of like the prime example of someone suffering and staying with God. Job is the example of extreme suffering. He was actually, in the beginning, he was the epitome of one blessed by God. The Bible talks about him as being blameless, shunning evil, fearing God. And the Bible (coughs) talks about him as being super wealthy, Seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep. Of course, that was the wealth in those days, in those uh, agricultural days. It was the amount of livestock. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, many, many servants. And Satan sets out to try to get Job to curse God to his face. And Satan says, if you, will let me, if you will let me have access to Job, I'll get him to curse you. And so God says, okay. And this all happened in one day. The Sabaeans took all of Job's oxen and donkeys. Then a fire burned up all of Job's sheep and servants. And the Chaldeans took all of his camels and killed all of those servants. And then that same day, a mighty wind shook the house where his seven sons and three daughters were feasting together. The house collapsed and killed all of his children. Messengers kept coming and giving those reports to Job. And each time they said, and I was the only one that survived. Later on, 
Satan inflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head, it says. And Satan is betting that with enough suffering, he can get Job to curse God. But Job never does, does he? He anguishes. He proclaims his innocence. He even says that he would like to have God as his audience to plead his case. But he never turns against God. He never curses him. He never cuts down God. So, in the end, Satan loses the bet. God rewards Job by giving him seven more sons and three more daughters. He doubles his livestock to 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys, and many, many more servants. And then it says, Job lived to see his children and their children to the fourth generation. And James says here, You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Now, here is what James is basically saying. He's telling those Christians that he's responsible for that during hard times, we must brace ourselves for the hardship, to face the hardship, as we keep our eyes on the return of Christ. Knowing that when he comes, he will punish all evil, he will reward all righteousness, all works done in his name. He will establish his eternal, glorious, amazing, beautiful kingdom upon a renewed earth, giving us redeemed bodies. No more suffering, no more injustice, no more poverty, no more envy, no more insecurity, no more trying to lift up our own image and cutting down others. No more hatred, no more jealousy, no more pandemics, no more sickness. I mean, it will be far beyond what we can really imagine. But here's the deal. God is now carrying out that very plan that will one day culminate in Christ's return. He's had that, play all, that plan all the way from the beginning. You know, from the beginning, well, before creation, but as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and brought a curse upon humanity and the earth, God has been working on his plan to get rid of that curse and to get rid of sin and to get rid of all evil. And we're part of that plan. <clears throat> and at that time, when he returns, he will abolish all sin. He will be crowned the king. Jerusalem will be the city on a hill, the capital of the whole world. And until that time, we need to endure hardship and suffering, depending upon where God places us and what time he places us there. But our job is to remain faithful to Christ, continue to serve him, he wants us to be faithful upon his return. And the thing is, 
it's probably harder for us because we live in such a prosperous economy and, and, and society. But, you know, we get, we, we kind of just get swept into this thought of we're here to please ourselves. And that's what humanity, that's, that's the goal. But he wants us to realize that we're here to serve him and to be a part of that plan that he's carrying out so that one day righteousness will rule the earth and we will be his children and we will be his people and we will be part of his kingdom having all kinds of different jobs in his kingdom uh, places or things to do in his kingdom fulfilling things so we're not here just to please ourselves and make this life as good as we can make it I mean there's nothing wrong with with having goals and trying to improve and that sort of thing. But our, our ultimate goal is not to make everything here the, the kingdom. We're really here to do the work until he returns. We're a part of a bigger plan, the same plan that God has to eradicate eventually all sin and evil. We're part of that plan. And we will spread the message of God as part of that plan. And then one big part of that is not to grumble at each other. Whenever we do, we don't get our work done for the Lord. So as we continue God's work on this present earth, let's have the patience of the farmer waiting for the seasonal rains. <clears throat> when our family was in Coldwater, Kansas, we saw things I had never even knew uh, existed before as far as farming and, and waiting for seasonal rains. And, you know, around here we, we say that talking about the weather is kind of like surface talking. There, it wasn't surface talking. It was livelihood talking about the weather. And they were always talking about rain. Of course, you know, here we get about twice as much rain as they got in cold water a year, like 44 inches to 22 or something like that. So they're always, you know, praying for rain there. But one guy, he, he learned the, the, the way to uh, look at it. He just would be real relaxed, and he would say, well, we're always one day closer to the next rain. <laughs> I thought that's pretty good. So let's have the patience of the farmer waiting for the seasonal rain, waiting for that valuable crop to come up. And let's have the perseverance of Job, who found God to be full of mercy and compassion, even though he went through horrible suffering. And let God find us faithful in our service to him. Uh, as I pray... I also want to pray for some things going on in our nation. And so, if you would bow with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how life-giving it is. We thank you for how, how wise, how much wisdom it can give us. We pray that you would continue to give us more and more wisdom from your word and from each other and that we would love one another and love you supremely. And Father, I pray for this incident 
up in Minneapolis with George Floyd and, and as horrible as it looked and as much trouble as it has caused, Lord, I pray that you would comfort that family who have lost a loved one. I pray that you would comfort his friends. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help the city and other cities now to be able to um, stop the riots in the best way possible. And I pray that you would calm the hearts of people. And Lord, that you would uh, make us better people even through this. And Father, I pray also as decisions are made daily, weekly, for coming, coming back into society, coming out of sheltering, I pray, Lord, that you would protect people, protect the, the, the vulnerable, help those who are um, making decisions for other people, Lord. Give them great wisdom. And Lord, we, we thank you for the medical workers who have risked their lives and, and have served others in such unselfish ways. Please bless them. And Father, I pray a blessing upon our church family. I thank you for every person here. I pray that you would take everyone out and, and give them joy and give them a close walk with you and that we might love one another and spread that love to our community. We pray in Jesus' name.